2.1 billion. That's a pretty big number. If you counted one number every second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take you about 70 years to count to 2.1 billion. 2.1 billion people around the world claim the name of Jesus today. And 2.1 billion is just a fraction of the number of people who have followed Jesus for the last 2,000 years. But this worldwide family of believers began with only a small number of committed individuals who had an encounter with a power larger than themselves. That handful of people went from being faces in the crowd to active parts of a movement that would change the course of humanity forever. Through the Spirit of God, we have the potential for great things. Jesus has empowered each one of us to change the course of history. It's up to us to take on that challenge. The founders of the early church were not anything special on their own. They were ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary power and responded in obedience. That's their origin story. What's yours? It is my promise to you to work diligently and tirelessly until we have a retractable roof in this room, okay? <laughs> so we can just open it right up, get a little bit of sun. Is it not nice outside today? Oh, praise God. It's two weeks more and it'll start to snow, but we should enjoy it. <laughs> should enjoy it. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Bayview Glen. Uh, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're brand new with us, what we've been doing over the last several weeks is talking about who we are as a church. I have no really other way to explain it other than saying just who we are as a church. And, and what we've done is define three things, our mission, our vision, and our values. Our mission is simply why we exist. Why do you even gather? Why, why does this group even exist? Why do these people even exist? What, what, what is it about us that, that, that's our Why? Who are we? And then, and then our vision is kind of our preferred future. In, in other words, a decade from now, where would we like to be? What would we like to see? How would we like God to use our church and different things like that? Then our values are six kind of guiding principles for behavior. They're things that we're committed to and things that we endeavor to live out. And then they're also aspirational to some extent because you don't always live out your values. Sometimes, you know, our lives are fractured a little bit. We don't always live our values. And a church doesn't always live its values out, but we want to define our values so that there's some guidelines for how we behave as we pursue our vision and as we pursue our mission. And the second thing that we've done that's real critical is understood that we don't exist in a vacuum. Rather, we are, in large part, just kind of continuing to carry the torch forward that the church of the last 2,000 years have left for us. That's why we call this uh, the series Origin Story. We have an origin story. Where did we begin and what has happened over the last 2,000 years to lead us to the here and now? And so here's the deal. At Bayview Glen, our mission, the reason why we exist, firmly rooted in Scripture and the last 2,000 2,000 years of church history is simply this. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Now, are you already bored of this? Okay, good. Praise God. Uh, because I'm not. 
and this is in my bones, it's in my blood, it's in my veins. Like, I, I just live, eat, and breathe this mission statement. This is why we exist. And I hope that it's starting to get there for you as well, that it's kind of saturating your soul to the point where you're saying, man, this is really why we exist. So if that's you, would you, would you say this with me? This is our mission statement. It's who we are, why we exist. So let's say it together. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Yeah, and our preferred future is by 2030, we'd like to, for Bayview Glen Church to be a family of 6,000 disciples with 3,000 in life groups, 3,000 in serve teams. We won't talk a lot about that this morning, but we are gonna talk about our values. Our first four values that we've covered are up here on the screen. We'll be covering value number five today. These are our guidelines for behavior. So once again, we're gonna do the same thing we did last week. I'll say the words in white, you say the words in yellow. Ready? Jesus, everybody's, we are better, we're made to, right, Jesus is exalted, he's preeminent, he's first, he, he's, he's glorified, this is the reason why we do it, we think of him first, we pray to him first, Jesus is first. Everybody that walks through this door has dignity and value in the eyes of God because they are made in his image and you are loved, cherished, and valued by God. Number three is that we're better together, not as individuals, you're great as an individual, well, some of you, you're great. But we're always better together. Growing to be more like Jesus, getting on mission for him in the world, it's always better together. And we are not just saved to go to heaven when we die. We are saved, we are made new in order to renew. We are blessed to be a blessing. We've been changed to bring change in the world. Those are our values that we've done up to this point. And today is value number five. And I want you to know that value number five, on the face of it, is, is pretty cool. Like if you read it, man, I, I, yeah, okay, I get that. I'm onto that. I'm, 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 I'm in support of that. But the implications of the value are the reason that I get most of my negative emails. When you apply this value and actually see it through, and, and our hope is that these values would permeate everything that we do, every ministry program, our personal lives, our worship services, everything that permeate every, everything that we do. And this value, when it's applied and when it's got some implications to it and it shifts the way we do things, it can be really challenging for people. And then they sit down and send me anonymous emails. I got one this week. It was great. Um, I filed it. You know where I filed it? Yeah, good. Yeah, the wastebasket, that's right. All right, so here's the value, ready? God gets our best. God gets our best. The best of who we are, the best of our time, the best of our finances, God gets our best. Here's why it's difficult, because everybody loves vision, but not everybody loves the implications of vision. So let me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. I could cast a vision for my wife, say, we're gonna take a vacation, right? We're gonna take a vacation at Christmas time. We're gonna get away someplace warm. It's gonna be great. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. I'm on it. I'm, I'm with that vision. I'm supportive of that vision. Okay, so here are the implications. In order to accomplish that vision, instead of using disposable diapers for our nine-month-old for the next six months, you're gonna have to use cloth diapers and wash them. Ew. Now I'm not so excited about that vision, Right? Same thing with God gets our best. Like if we read it at face value and we go, yeah, God, can, God gets my best. But when we start to organize our lives personally and our families and our church in such a way that God is getting our best, it tends to push and pull a little bit. T tends to be a little bit of challenge sometimes. 
So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna say this real quickly and then I'm gonna pray. There, there tends to be two types of people in the room. I know that's a gross overgeneralization or simplification, but two types of people in the room. There's one type of person in the room, you're giving God your best all the time and it's wearing you out and I wanna talk to you about it. So I think, I think you maybe misunderstand what that means to give God your best. The other type of person in the room, you're giving God your okays. You're giving God your good enoughs. And what I wanna do this morning is challenge you to step it up and say, God is gonna get my best. I'm gonna adopt this value. God's gonna get my best. I'm gonna talk to two types of people in the room about this value. God gets our best. Before I do that, I'd like to pray. That's okay. So, oh God, we invite you to speak. And maybe for somebody who's new to church this morning and maybe never heard somebody say that God speaks. So, God, what we're asking of you is that you would change us and make us different when we walk out of here, that something would inspire us and move us to be a different type of person that brings good and grace and godliness and holiness in the world where it's most needed. So God, move among us this morning as we, we chat about it in Christ's name. Amen. So here's what I want to do first. I want to define this word best because if we misdefine it or misunderstand it, we're going to get completely off the rails here and things are going to go and go sideways. So the word best, as the dictionary defines it, is excelling all others. That's the first definition. Excelling all others or most productive of good, offering or producing the greatest advantage, utility, or satisfaction. The best is the most productive of good and offering the greatest advantage, utility, or satisfaction, or it's excelling all others, uh, or excelling the warriors in five games, or whatever it is, whatever it is that, that it is, the, the best. So you know what that is, the best. That's the best, all right? So here is, is theological principle number one that we have to wrap our mind around is that God is the best. He excels all others. He is superior. He surpasses even our wildest imagination. He, he is the most productive of good in the world. And utility offers the most satisfaction. He is the best. And he wants us to know that because when he communicated the Ten Commandments to Moses, the very first one he said was, you have no other gods before me. All those other gods are non-gods compared to me because I'm the best. Then uh, the New Testament will roll around and Paul will begin to talk to the church and he starts to talk to the church in about 60 AD about the person of Jesus. Look what he says about the person of Jesus. A lot of information here. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. He doesn't leave anything out there. All things were created through him and for him and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Stop there. Love this word preeminent. Define it really quickly. Pre meaning before, and eminent meaning eminent. So he was eminent from before. That's what that means. No, it doesn't, that's not, it means, it means surpassing greatness. It means above all others. He's the best. For in him, next slide, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ, by the blood of his cross. Now, 
Uh, Paul said a lot of stuff there. It was a lot of information, just fire hose information. Some of the t- shows I watch on TV would say, okay, cool, 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 all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, I got you, I got you, cool, 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 cool. There was just a lot of information. Here's what Paul is saying, and here's what God is saying about himself in the Old Testament, that God's the best. He's the best. He excels all others. The train of his robe fills the temple. His glory fills the temple. His glory is too great for us to even lay our eyes upon. He is the best. Theological principle number two, that God gives the best. God gives the best. John 3.16, in terms of popularity, has kind of fallen out of vogue lately. A lot of other people um, quote other verses, Jeremiah 29.11, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to beat the warriors in five games, or whatever it is. But John 3.16 has kind of fallen out of vogue, but John 3.16 is so, so appropriate this morning. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, and he didn't give his good enough, he didn't give his just okay, he gave his most prized possession his only begotten son. He gave his best. God gives his best. I had a friend who is now with the Lord uh, who was fond of saying this, you can never outgive God. Because he's given so extravagantly and extraordinarily beyond what you could have asked or imagined. God gives his best. So because God is the best and gives his best, number three, God is able to expect the best. And he does. He expects the best. Let's look at it from both the Old Testament and New Testament perspective. In the Old Testament, people of God are ransomed from slavery in Egypt. And God directs them to have a festival every year in order to celebrate and remember. And he says, as part of this festival, I want you to kill a lamb and eat it and do some other things with it. Okay? So, and then he says, this lamb, here you go, should be without blemish, a male, a year old. Prime of his life. Male, bigger than the female, so in that case, better, and without blemish, totally spotless. What is God saying? You take your best, right? And then, fast forward, the nation of Israel starts to do some of this stuff that God wants them to do, and then they start thinking, this is God's people, right? They start thinking, okay, we're going to kill this lamb anyway. Why are we doing our best? Why don't we take the one that's blind or deaf or mute or smaller or whatever? We'll, we'll just give, we'll give second best to God. And God comes along and he says, you are robbing me of what is rightfully mine because the best of what you got is rightfully mine. He goes so far as to say this, watch. He says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? I mean, watch, this is crazy. Blind animals, like the the, the animal's gonna die anyway. And God comes along and he says, "That's that's not just kind of like frowned upon, or not ideal, he says, you give a sacrifice, but when you don't give your best, that's evil. Yee. Then, watch this. I love what God says here. Watch. He says, present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor? It's like, here's the deal. You're at work, and you've got a meeting to do this week, and you're going to submit some paperwork to your boss so your boss can present it to the board or whatever, 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 and you say to your boss, hey, here's the deal. You're the only one that's going to read this. So I gave my, you know, good solid six out of 10. I didn't give my best. I didn't give my all, but it should be good enough. How's that gonna go for you at work? You'll be looking for jobs pretty quickly, won't you? Yeah, God says, look, that's the same thing here. Like it doesn't work there and it doesn't work with me. 
Fast forward to the New Testament and Paul starts to say to the church, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, that God has given his best because he's given his best, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul actually says this is right and good and natural and logical worship. Then once Paul in uh, Colossians in the first couple of chapters there, when he talks about the preeminence and the glory and the image of the invisible God and all things were created through him, Jesus is the best, Jesus surpasses all others, Jesus excels all things. He says, now in view of that, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul will say, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all to the glory of God. In other words, God expects the best. He expects your best. He expects my best. So the way we articulate this value here at Bayview Glen is that God gets our best. That God gets our best. Now, here's the question, and I think this is a very, very critical question. Because if we misunderstand what is happening here in the scripture when God is requiring, asking, demanding, rightfully so, our best, the best of us, if we misunderstand what the Bible is saying, it will get us off the rails very, very quickly and do some damage in our spiritual and emotional lives. It will, it will. So here's the question that, that, that we're begging here this morning. What does it mean that God gets my best? What does it mean to give God my best? So if you are jotting down notes, I want you to jot these things down because they're absolutely so critical. And, and, and this first kind of principle is for those of us who have been giving God our best, the best of our time, the best of our finances, and we're worn out, and we're tired of it, and it's not helping all that much. And yeah, I do my Bible studies, and yeah, I go to church, and yeah, I'm giving all my effort to God, and it just runs me ragged, and I still feel spiritually empty. So here's the deal. Giving God your best, listen very closely, begins with your identity and not your activity. It is about your identity and not your activity. Yes, there are activities that flow out of your identity, but it does not begin with your activity. In other words, you cannot, with your activity, impress God. You cannot, with your money, impress God. You cannot, with your time, God, I gave you six whole hours today. God goes, I've had, a, I've had a lot of time. I actually created that whole 24-hour period thing. I created that, so I've had a lot of them, right? You can never, ever, ever impress God, but here's the deal. He has called you his son or his daughter. I love that song we sang this morning. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In, in, uh, in South Florida, where uh, we adopted our kids from, there's an African-American community there, and a lot of them, I, I, love, it. I love it, they'll say things, and they don't wait for you to agree with them. They just go ahead and agree with themselves. Like, ooh, it is hot outside today. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't even need me to participate in this conversation. You can just kind of have this conversation by yourself. That's what that song is. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what that is. And some of us need that this morning. Look, it's not about your activity. It's about your identity. It's about who you are. And here's the deal, in church history, there was a moment where there was this shift away from identity and toward activity. And what began to happen after Charlemagne was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor in the 11th century, which I, I'm gonna try this joke on you. I tried it on Amy, she didn't like it. I tried it on the first service, they didn't like it. But I'm gonna try it on you because if the three strikes and I'm out. Okay, so 
Holy Roman Emperor, Charlemagne is Holy Roman Emperor. And, and, and sometimes I feel like that would be like a really good swear word, right? Like if you lose your keys, you're like, Holy Roman Emperor. No, it's a no. It's a no. Shoot. I don't even know where I am now. Um, Charlemagne was crowned Holy Roman Emperor, and what began to happen in the church is the church began to focus on activity rather than identity, so much so that in the Latin Vulgate, which is the translation of the scripture that the church was using at that time, the word metanoeo, which just means change of mind, was translated as do penance. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's not just a bad translation. That's a substitute. It's wrong. Do penance, all of a sudden, instead of God has transformed my mind and heart so that my activity changes, see, my identity has changed, metanoeo, so my activity, therefore, as a natural result, changes. Instead of that, the church is saying, you've got to do penance, and there were things you had to do. You could buy an indulgence and purchase things. You had to go to confession. You had to go through all these hoops and jump through all these hoops in order to impress God. Well, in 1516, the Greek New Testament was released in mass form, and a man named Martin Luther began to read the Greek New Testament. And instead of of translating that word, do penance, D-O, penance, activity, he looked at it and he said, that's not what that means. That word is repent and allow God to change you and walk toward him such that your activity changes, but it's about a transformed identity, not using your activity to impress God. So then in 1517, a year after the Greek New Testament was released, Martin Luther wrote what's called 95 Theses, 95 things, nailed them on the door at Wittenberg where he was a monk in the church at that time. Theses number one, here we go. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That my identity has changed. I am following Jesus and I'm a child of God. Number two, watch this. This word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance. That is confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. In other words, what Luther is saying is, You don't come to clergy, pastor, priest, or whatever, bishop, and say, here are the things I've done, and the bishop goes, "Mm mm-hmm, that's enough activity. Because if that's the deal, you will always be on a hamster wheel, and you will always run yourself ragged. So that's not the deal. The deal is, God has called you into his kingdom, you're an adopted child of God, thus your activity changes. Listen, for some of you, for some of you, this is all you needed to hear today because you have run yourself ragged trying to impress God. And God comes along, listen to what he says to you. I am impressed with you because you are my kid. Not because of the things you do. Not because of the money you give. I'm God, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your money. I don't need your time. I created time. I'm not in need of anything. What you need, God says, is to be adopted into my kingdom, and I've provided you a way to do that through my son Jesus, and your identity changes, and now you're a child of God. And this is where we're at when we say God gets our best. It's birthed out of a transformed identity, not just a checklist of activities. Everybody with me on this one? Good. Two. When, when, when you're giving God your best, it's got to be proactive, not reactive. It's got to be proactive, not reactive. Proactive means you plan, you think, 
You're on offense, not playing defense. You're not just reacting to needs and things that come along in your life. And for some of you, what you think is giving God my best means that anytime someone approaches me with a need, anytime someone approaches me with a desire, even if it's legitimate, even if I can do something about it, all those things, I have to say yes every time. Can I just free you up this morning and say you can say no? You know, Jesus said no to some of that stuff. In a moment in the life of Jesus, he's, he's withdrawn to a private place to pray. And there's this whole group of people in a neighborhood that want him, need him. And they need to be healed. and They need to be prayed for. Is the need legitimate? Yes. Could Jesus do something about it? Yes. So the disciples go to get him. Jesus, you've got to come here and do this thing. And does Jesus respond with a yes? No. He responds with a, I must go to Jerusalem. And he leaves a legitimate need behind and as far as we know, never healed those people, never prayed for those people, never preached for those people because it's not just about choosing what's good, it's about choosing what's best. And Jesus chose what was best. For some of you, you've got to learn how to say no and that's your proactive thing rather than reactive because what happens is just stuff flies at you and you're like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. And the next thing you know, you've worn yourself completely out and you're, you know, you know, shame eating at 1130 at night, a big bowl of ice cream. She's like, I'm just trying, God, and I don't know what. It's like, just say no to stuff. Could you, let's just practice. Could you turn to someone next to you and just say, just say no. Just turn around, say no. Say no. This is not an opportunity to have a conversation. People just turn around and start talking to each other. How's your day? The weather's great. We're practice saying no together. Ready? One, two, three. That's it, right? Your spouse may be asking you to do something right now. I want you to turn to them on three and say, I will continue to pray about it. One, two, three. You don't say no. You don't say no. (laughs) Not to them you don't. I'm not willing to start that fight. But we need to be proactive, not reactive. This is what Paul means when he says to the church in Corinth about giving. He says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You make a plan. You get proactive, not reactive. When the plate gets passed and when there's a need, you're not just looking for a loony or a toonie. You say, you know what? I'm going to make a plan in advance to be generous. Because here's the deal. When, when it comes to giving God best, even of finances, this is what Paul is talking about here. What he's saying is you've got to be proactive, not reactive. Because if you're reactive, God will never get your best. You've got to be proactive. You know why? Because you'll never tithe accidentally. You're never just going to accidentally give a lot to charity. You're going to accidentally just give. Nobody gets to the end of their year and it's time to file taxes and goes, oh my gosh, I gave 10% to the church. I didn't know that happened. That never happens. You've got to be proactive about it. Andy Notice, uh, who is our family pastor, he's, he's back in the, in the children's wing right now taking care of kiddos and teaching them about Jesus. And he has this thing for parents, and I use it because I've got two kids back there, a four-year-old and a nine-month-old, and it's an app called Parent Q, Parent Q. And there's all kinds of things about your child's development, what they're learning in their classes and baby kids. It's really fantastic. It's brilliant. Amy and I use it. And one of the things about uh, that the app showed me this week about Canaan, Canaan is nine months old, is that this year I will spend $6,500 on diapers. <laughs> Who, like, like, whoa, like there are things that happen in life, right? They, they, they surprise you, they catch you off guard. And there are times when you react to those things. But, but, but men and women of God, when it comes to giving God our best, we've gotta be proactive people, right? Make a plan. Not just when the, fi- not the financial stuff, but all stuff. 
about our time, our energy, our resources, whatever. We've got to be proactive, not reactive. Number three, giving God our best means strategy, not spontaneity. Watch. I've got nothing against spontaneity. There are times in our lives where we need to be spontaneously generous, spontaneously pray, spontaneously come alongside someone. And, and we had an opportunity this week. Someone came into the office, had a need that would, um, we could meet through our benevolent offering, had a crisis in their life, and, and, and we kind of had a, uh, somebody out of town, so our process that we usually use, we couldn't. So we kind of spontaneously responded to that, and we're, we were gonna be able to meet that person's need. I'm not against spontaneity, but if your whole life is spontaneous, Men and women between about the ages of 19 and 30, talking to you, if your whole life is spontaneous, you guys want to go to Pittsburgh this weekend? Yay! And everybody's on the road to Pittsburgh. Like, what is that? Like, you know, then what's going to happen is is you're going to look back and you're going to go, did I just spend 13 hours playing video games? Yes, you did. That's why your thumbs hurt. Like, yes, you did. Did I just spend six hours on Instagram? Yes, you did. Because you're not, you're not living strategically. And, and so what gets your best is video games. And what gets your best is Instagram. Because you're not living strategically. And God's not getting your best. This is what Paul means when he says this. Look, I do not run aimlessly. I'm in a marathon. I'm not just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. He says, I don't box as one beating the air. Like, picture me going into flight, fight like a, a really tactical great boxer like Floyd Mayweather, right? Floyd Mayweather comes in, tactical boxer, right? What if I came in and I said, I think I could beat him if I just start swinging like this? Okay, see, see, it's okay to laugh at me sometimes, okay? So I'll just free you up to do that. Ready, one, two, three. Yeah, there you go, okay. But this is supposed to be funny. It is, it's supposed to be funny. He's like, you're walking into a boxing ring and just punching at stuff, hoping that you hit something. That's absurd. Strategy, plan, forethought allows you to give God your best. Next principle, love this one. And this is the one I need to hear today, ready? It's about dedication, not perfection. About dedication, not perfection. See, perfection and excellence are not the same thing. We're not gonna be perfect in anything we do. Perfection is about control. Perfection is about ridiculous expectations. And God says, you know what? You're not perfect, but guess what? I've been really good at using imperfect for a long time. And the way that I do that is when you're dedicated. That's the way I do that. See, uh, when God's people were enslaved in the Old Testament in the nation of Egypt, uh, God called a man named Moses, and he says to Moses, look, Go tell Pharaoh to what? Let my people go, right? So Moses responds to God with a hearty yes and goes and tells Pharaoh. No, he doesn't. Moses responds to God this way. He says, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses is saying two things here. He's saying, I don't have a lot of words. Then he's saying, I'm slow of speech and tongue. In the original language, in the Hebrew, he's saying, I have a speech impediment. He had a a lateral lisp. He couldn't say his R's. Whatever, Whatever it was. I mean, this was a physical disability that Moses was experiencing. And God is saying to him, you go talk. And Moses says, I don't talk well. Ask Aaron. He's good at talking. You may have said something like that to God before. 
you know what, I'm not, I'm not good at sharing my faith. So I just, I just don't. I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm not good at giving. I don't have a ton of money, so I, I gotta do this. So I can't give God the best of my finances. You know what? I'm not really a morning person. So it's hard for me you know, to get up and, and, and face the day that way and, 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 and go before the Lord first thing in the morning, spend time with him. And so you know, those things, I just don't have it in me. Or you may have even said, I can't serve in our children's ministry because what do I have to offer kids? I can't serve our youth because what do I have to offer youth? I, I can't serve um, this individual at work who's going through a really difficult time. I can't come alongside them, God, even though you've called me because I wouldn't know what to say and I wouldn't know what to do. And it may be a physical disability. It may be an emotional thing that you're going through. maybe a spiritual thing or whatever. You're saying, God, not me. Here's how God would respond the same way he responded to Moses. Who made your mouth? What, what, who makes man mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Are you telling me I messed up? To which Moses responds, no, no, absolutely not. No, no, oh. this is not a good conversation. And his and Lord says, no, therefore go. And I will be with your mouth. See, I've been using imperfect for a long time when you're dedicated. Now, therefore go. And I will teach you what you shall speak. See, giving God our best it's not about perfection. Men and women will never hit it. It's just about being dedicated and coming to God with open hands and saying, use me, all of me, my brokenness too. And God says, awesome, now let's hit it. Next principle, when it comes to giving God your best, it's about creating, not imitating. It's about creating, not imitating. Everybody look, this, this is a theological principle. It's grounded in scripture. In the beginning, very first passage of the Bible, very first verse, God did what? Say that word. Created the heavens and the earth. He created. He's a creative God. He made you in his image. Thus, you are a creative person, period. End of story. You might say, well, I can't paint. I'm bad at art. I'm not a good songwriter. All that create. I'm not a creative type. I'm an accountant. You might have an argument there, but, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, not, God is, I'm, I'm just not a creative person. Horse hockey. God created you and he's creative and you're made in his image. Thus you are a creative person. So get out there and create. I was on the phone. Let's just, I'll just give you an example. I was on the phone with Amy this morning. Um, she's up at a cottage and we, we went there yesterday with our life group. I came home last night so I could be here this morning. She kept the kids. So she's up at a cottage this morning and I got on the phone with her because she, she always prays for me before I preach, always prays. So we're on the phone so she could pray for me and she's in a room with like seven or eight kids from our life group, right? And they're all going just absolutely bonkers. They're all going ham and they're screaming, Woo! So here's the deal. Amy wants to pray for me, and she wants to do so with quiet, so she has some options here. Now, if I were in her space, what I would do is say, hang on real quick, babe. Okay, all, all people under this high, get out of the room, you snot-nosed punks, or I'm gonna kill your pets. Out. Oh, don't boo at me over that. That's how I would fix it, Right? This is what my wife did, right? Watch this. Hey, everybody, I'm gonna pray for Luke. So this is gonna be the prayer room. So anyone who wants to pray for him, come over. And we're just gonna quietly and I'll pray and we can all pray for him before he preaches. Otherwise, you can go outside of this room and, and play. 
but, but here is prayer, and I would invite you to do that with me. Is that not creative? Isn't that brilliant? And all the kids left the room because they didn't want to pray for me. <laughs> Problem solved. Problem solved. And nobody had to threaten to kill anybody's pets. Okay. I don't care who you are. You're a stay-at-home mom. You're an accountant. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care. God has made you creative. And the Christian church, in particular, for 1,900 years, was the most creative force on the planet. Art, music, painting, industry, science, literature, over and over and over. And then something happened in the 20th century, and all of a sudden we decided it's better to just imitate culture. There was an article in GQ magazine, actually, a number of years ago that I was reading, and the man who wrote the article described himself as culturally Jewish, but not spiritually Jewish. And he says about the Christian church, he says, it just baffles me. I just can't understand how for 1,900 years you were creators of art and culture and music and all of those things, and all of a sudden in the 20th century, you decide it's a great idea to sit around the table of pop culture, wait for the scraps to come off the table, pick them up, sew them together, stamp a cross on it, and call it creative. Ooh, that one stings. Men and women, God has empowered you to be creative, so giving God your best means being creative, so go be creative. Okay, here's the deal. I told you, I'll give you theological background, which I did, a couple principles of what giving God our best means and doesn't mean, but I wanna close with this because I want you to understand something about the heart of God. And I, wanna, I wanna close with a story, and, and, and it's, I think it's just so critical because I don't want us to get off the rails and start thinking that if I don't give God my best, he won't love me. If I'm not perfect, he won't care for me. If I don't tick all the boxes and do all the right things, I'm gonna somehow come up short, and, and, and that's, that's, why, that's the reason God loves me. I gotta give God my best to impress him. So here's the story, and we'll be done. I didn't know how I was gonna close the sermon until Friday night when I went to my daughter's dance recital. Uh, she's four and a half years old. For those of you maybe who are new with us, um, both of my kids are black. We adopted both of our children. And so uh, we take Kaya to this dance studio that's predominantly uh, black, almost exclusively black. And what they uh, practice and learn is traditionally black dances. So Afro-Caribbean, uh, hip-hop. Um, oh, what are some other ones that they... They did calypso, reggae, yeah, dance hall, that kind of stuff, right? So we love it and we have a great time. And Kaya's the youngest of all, and kids up to high school, and she's four. So we go to this dance recital on, on Friday night. The first part that was awkward is that I know some of the parents in there and they know our story, but I don't know all of them. So like, and Kaya was like, Daddy, you have to sit in the front whoa. He has to sit in the front whoa. I'm like, all right, baby, I'll sit in the front whoa. So, so I come in, 40-year-old white male, I'm the visible minority, and I come down and sit in the front row for this children's dance recital. And I could imagine some of the parents who don't know me going, huh, hmm, that's odd. Maybe I should get the police on speed dial. And then 
they start doing their dances, right? And, and as they dance, everybody's like hooting and hollering, going crazy. Like, you go, Felicia. And like, you know, they're going crazy and like uh, hollering. And there's like 25 dances and they make you stay for the entire thing, right? So, and Kaya's the very last dance. Very last. And the other thing that ran through my head, I shared this with one of my, one of my friends, one of the other uh, moms in, of, of a kid in this class, a black woman. And I said, could you imagine if the 40-year-old white male that nobody knows is like hooting and hollering for every dance? Like, what would people think of me? Again, call the police, right? So I was like, I stayed quiet and I was cool, right, until Kaya came out. Very last dance. And, 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 and her crew comes out and everybody just goes absolutely bananas. And here's the deal. Kaya stinks. She's bad at dancing. She's better than me, but that doesn't say a lot, right? Um, I took a video. You want to see it? Yeah, let's see it. Ready? Here we go. We had these uh, two young gals who are really good friends that watched Kaya. They were there, and another woman from our life group and her daughter were there to watch, and everybody's going crazy and clapping and hooting and hollering. Any idea what I'm doing? I just wept. I just wept. And it came out of nowhere, right? And I joke about being non-emotive, you know, and the people that were with me are good friends, and Amy's with me, right? So they know me really well, and they know I'm non-emotive. So everybody's like, are you okay? Like, no, we should really call 911, right? Because I'm just, I am weeping. It's not because she's good. Clearly, right? <laughs> she's younger than everybody in her class. You know why I wept? Because she gave her best. And there was just so much joy. And those of you kids, you know, there's just so much joy on her face. She, she broke character one time. She gave me a little wave. And then back to it, right? And then back to it. <laughs> she gave her best. She gave her all. She went to extra rehearsals. She learned. She reviewed. She did it. And I just wept because my heart as a dad just connected with her. I said, I'm just so proud of this kid. She's making a difference in me. She's making a difference with her classmates. There's somebody who emailed me this week and said, because your daughter, four and a half years old, was cool to my kid at the park, I'm gonna come check out church. That's the kind of difference she's making. Just because she gives her best. Men and women, here's what I want you to know. And some of you may think this is sappy, especially dudes, it's hard for us, I get it. But that's God's fatherly heart for you. He just weeps because he's so proud of you. He's overcome with emotion. And sometimes he's hooting and hollering going, yes. And sometimes he's just, his, he's just so overcome with pride and joy when you give your best. This is why he calls us to giving our best. Because he's designed us that way. And he knows, he knows this is human flourishing. This is what it means to be a person, is giving our best to God. I want you to know that's how he feels about you. Let's pray. In just the next couple of moments of quiet, I would invite you to do one of a couple of things. One, maybe you're the person who leans toward activity and not identity, and you've been trying to impress God with all the things you do. And maybe let God speak to you and maybe even use my voice to do it. 
he loves you. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. No activity is going to impress him. He is already impressed with you just because you're his kid and nothing will ever change that. Rest in that. Number two, there might be some of us in this room that maybe need to make some strategic adjustments in our life, being proactive, not reactive, uh, being, uh, living out of strategy, giving God the best of our time, the best of our finances, the best of our affections, the best of our talents and skills and abilities. And I, I, my prayer is that even as we talked about this this morning, there would be some level of inspiration for you to say, you know what? I, whether it's work, whether it's parenting, whether it's my spouse, whether it's God is calling me to something to step it up because I'm giving good enough, but I'm not giving my best and I want to give God my best. So God, we're grateful for your presence in this place and grateful for uh, the ways that you shape us and mold us and transform us and call us. May we rest in our identity as children May that identity compel us to give you our best. In Christ's name, the people of God said, amen.